Morning. So it's really good to see some faces back again, more and more of you. I'm thankful. It's actually a bit emotional for me, so thanks, to, thanks be to God that more and more of us can get back together here uh, in person, but we also are thankful for those who are worshiping with us online and want you to be able to continue to do that. So just a little bit of uh, review, not much. We are now on week nine of uh, our journey through the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and we began with a foundation for how we're to understand, interpret, and apply the Sermon on the Mount to our lives, and that was two-layered. One, to understand that the Sermon on the Mount is meant to be taken seriously. It is meant to be taken seriously. We have a problem with technology right now. Your computer is trying to take over mine, and that is going to be a problem. This, if you're with us the third or fourth week, this happens. Something happens every single week. Let's hope it stays. And there goes Megan to fix the problem. It is meant to be taken seriously. It's not some pie-in-the-sky idea, that ideal that we're never going to be able to measure up to until we get to the kingdom of heaven or the new heavens and the new earth, as we call it. Neither is it some uh, ideal meant to tell us you can never live up to this, therefore you have to depend on the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. That is true. But it is meant to be taken seriously. But the second part of the foundation is we understand that we do not do this alone. We do not do this, try to live this way in a vacuum because the power of the kingdom of God is with us. The kingdom is here, the kingdom is now, and the kingdom is ours, which leads us to the good news that we've been talking about all throughout and will continue to talk about, and that is that the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus empower us to live our lives purposefully and abundantly in God's kingdom here, now, and forever. Survey uh, that came out uh, one year ago, actually, just before the pandemic, so these numbers are probably worse now, and in that survey, 77% of the people in the United States said they felt anxious about their finances, 77%. Same survey, again, a year ago, 58% feel their finances control their lives rather than the other way around, and the, the big topic on everybody's mind was retirement. 68% of the people in the United States one year ago worried about retirement and having enough. I would imagine all of those numbers have gone up since January of 2020. And it's a pretty universal concern, money and worries about money. Jesus includes it in his most famous sermon, if not the most famous sermon. He spends quite a bit of time on it. And the truth is, if you look at all of Jesus' parables, approximately 40% of them, approximately 40% of them are about money. Add to that the reality that without the, in the whole Bible, about 500 verses appear on prayer and faith, and over 2,000 talk about money, possessions, wealth, what we are to do with it. John D. Rockefeller was, um, at one time, the wealthiest man in the country, maybe the world. Uh, even by today, if you took his wealth and moved it forward to 2019, 2020, he may still be the wealthiest man in all of history, at least in the United States, maybe further than that, I don't know. He was the founder of Standard Oil. He was America's first billionaire. Um, And the story is told of a reporter who asked him one time, John, how much money is enough? And does anybody remember what he said? Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. He happened to do some pretty good things with his money, at least some of it. But to that, let's add the words of wisdom from Jesus from our passage. 
from Matthew 6, verses uh, 19 to 21. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. What Jesus is saying is, the problem with stuff, the problem with money, the problem with treasures and wealth is it's not going to last. It's not going to last. Time, disuse, rust, thieves, moths, rats, they're all going to eat it away. So better not to invest in what he calls treasures on earth, not to store up treasures on earth, but invest, invest in things that are more eternal, treasures in heaven. That just makes more sense. But the, the way it's translated, we say do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, but store up for yourselves treasures in, in heaven. More literally it says, do not treasure up for yourselves treasures on earth, but treasure up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And it has this image of this hoard of treasures hoarded up and piled up because we're afraid of the future and we hoard it to ourselves we are selfish with it do not treasure up treasures for yourself on earth when you do that when you get to that point we're talking about idolatry things are becoming idolatrous for you you've given something as pastor and author tim keller puts it an idol is usually a good thing that we make ultimate An idol is usually a good thing that we make ultimate. We give it a place in our lives it should not have. It is almost as if we are bowing down and worshiping that idol or serving that master. Later on in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 19, a rich man comes to Jesus and he wants to know, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And just to nuance this a bit, We hear eternal life and we think he means get to heaven when I die, but that's not the whole of it. What do I have to do to inherit eternal, abundant kingdom life now and in the future is really what's going on here. And Jesus says to him, well, you need to keep the commandments. You need to keep the Ten Commandments. You need to love your neighbors yourself. He says, I've done this my whole life. What else do I lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven then come, follow me. A couple of things. The word perfect, again, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. This is not perfection as we in our 21st century United States of America mindset may think of it. It's not about totally pure. It's not about uh, no flaws at all. That's not what perfection means in the ancient world and in the language here. Perfect is to be complete. It is to reach the goal. It is to be mature. It is to be finished. So basically what Jesus is saying to this rich man, if you want to be mature, if you want to be complete and move toward the goal that God has for you, you are going to have to sell everything you've got and give the money to the poor. And again, this is not a prescription for all people everywhere. This man had a problem. He had so elevated money and wealth, his money, his wealth, his possessions, to this ultimate goal that Jesus knew the only way we can fix you, rich young man, is if you sell everything and give it to the poor. That's not for all of us. It may be for some of us. Do that, and you will be perfect. You will be complete. You will be spiritually mature. The other thing is this this word, treasure of uh, treasures in heaven, or treasure of heaven, uh, storing up your treasures, same thing in in chapter 6 as well. 
is uh, the, the word heavens that we often think about as the place where God reigns. Literally, it's plural. It's heavens. It's not heaven. It's heavens. And it means anything you can see as a human being when you walk outside. When you walk outside and look up at the sky, you see blue sky, you see clouds, you see sun, you'll see the moon at night and stars. That's what the heavens are. And the heavens are right here with us right now. We are in the heavens like we are in outer space. We talked about a couple of weeks ago. We're in outer space. You just don't realize it. We are also in the kingdom of God because it's right here. It's very accessible to us. So we have a couple things going on there. So Jesus says, you want to inherit this life in the kingdom that's right here now? You want to access these treasures right now? You need to sell it all. And give the money to the poor. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. He had allowed his money, his wealth, his possessions to master him. He was worshiping the wrong thing. He was treasuring up the wrong thing, and therefore he was treasuring the wrong thing. If we treasure up wrong things, friends, we will worship the wrong thing. If we treasure up right things, we will worship the right thing. If we treasure up wrong things, we will worship the wrong thing. If we treasure up right things, we will worship the right thing. Or as Jesus puts it, wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Martin Luther, the reformer, said this, whatever your heart clings to and confides in, that really is really your God. Whatever that is. Jesus continues in the second part of our section Verses 22 and 23. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? A few things going on here. The ancient understanding of the way our eyes worked is different than the way we understand and know our eyes work. We see the eyes as receiving light and taking it into ourselves. In the ancient world, it was the opposite. It was almost like the eyes were a source of light. They took what was inside of you and they shined light on the world so you could see. That's what they believed physiologically happened. Jesus takes this belief and turns it into a metaphor to talk about something else. He's not saying, oh, this is actually how things work. He's saying, I'm going to take what you already think, and I'm going to accommodate it, and I'm going to help you understand how God works in your lives. And then this other part is this unhealthy eye language, or healthy eye. More literally, it is bad eye or good eye. Bad eye or good eye. Bad eye is sometimes also evil eye. So if you've heard people talk about the evil eye, this is where we get it from. The bad eye in Judaism refers to selfishness, covetousness, an evil and envious disposition, hatred of others, according to Dale Allison, a scholar. Whether you have a good eye or a bad eye is all about how you relate to others in terms of money. So it seemed at first, perhaps, that these verses didn't make sense in the context with what comes before about money, what comes after, after, uh, after it about money, but now we know it does. Because the good eye and the bad eye are all about whether you're a generous person, whether you are open-handed, toward others we see this kind of thing at work this bad eye thing at work as well later in Matthew 20 Jesus tells a story of the vineyard worker vineyard owner who goes out to hire workers for the day he goes out first in the morning first uh, hour of the morning he hires workers then he hires workers the last hour of the day and a couple times in the middle four times during the day 
At the end of the day, they all get ready to be paid, and he instructs uh, his stewards to pay them all a day's wages. Whether they came at the beginning of the day or the last hour, you pay them all a day's wages. Now, as you can understand, those who were hired first think this is unfair, so they complain to the vineyard owner. They should be paid more. If the people who were hired last, the last hour of the day get a full day's wage, we should get a whole lot more than that. And the vineyard owner says this, Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money, or are you envious because I am generous? Only that's not what it says. Literally, it says, Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money, or is your eye bad because I am good? It's changed in our translations because we wouldn't understand what in the world he's talking about. Literally, it's this bad eye, good eye thing. A good eye is a generous eye. A bad eye is a selfish eye, a stingy eye. Is your eye good or is your eye bad? Then he moves on to the next part of his teaching in this section. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money, or as I put there in the brackets, the word is actually mammon. Older translations keep that word. Matthew kept that word. Mammon is an old Semitic word. He kept it for his own reasons. We can only surmise why he kept it in there. He didn't translate it into Greek. He kept it in there because maybe it's a foreign-sounding thing. Maybe it sounds personal, like it's a deity, a god that wants us to worship, or a master that wants to enslave us. Gave it a bit of a personality by keeping the word mammon in there. And when it comes to money, this last verse of our section says, when it comes to money, there are only two ways to live. We either master mammon or mammon will master us. We either master mammon or mammon will master us. This is similar to what 1 Timothy chapter 6 is warning us of. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. Do we have a good eye or a bad eye? Are we worshiping money, bowing down to money? Are we enslaved to money or do we own it? Do we... Do we call it to do our bidding rather than the other way around? You put all these three sections together, these three little almost mini parables, and you have a sense of what's going on. Two treasures, two eyes, two masters, two ways of living. If we spend all our time treasuring up treasures on earth, the stuff that isn't going to last, we have the evil eye, which betrays the darkness within us. We are serving mammon, not God. We are worshiping mammon, not God, and therefore we are stingy people, self-centered, selfish people. But if we want to live the kingdom way of life, if we want to take the Sermon on the Mount seriously, well then we treasure up our treasures in the kingdom of the heavens, and our eye becomes healthy and good and we know that we are serving and worshiping God, not mammon. And we will be generous and open-hearted in the world. This reminds me of the, the story of the uh, guy who died and went to heaven, took a big old satchel with him, and as he's going up to the pearly gate, St. Peter says, you can't, you can't bring that in here. And the guy says, oh no, I, God and I have an arrangement. I, I can bring this with me. Okay. So let me see what's in it. And he opens it up, and it's full of gold. And St. Peter looks in there, 
has a quizzical look on his face, looks at the guy and said, why would you want to bring pavement into heaven? We need to value the right things. We need to value the right things. And if we're going to do that, we need to retrain our eyes to be healthy rather than unhealthy. How do we train ourselves to have a good eye? I'm going to just give you a few things. I've shared some of these with you before. I'm sharing them again. Uh, As some things that Kim and I do in our lives to try to train our eyes to be good and healthy. Tip generously. Never been more important than in the midst of a pandemic. (laughs) Tip generously. We always try to give a little more than 20%. Before the little sheet said 20% as a recommendation, we were doing this. We look at the amount, we figure 20%, it's not hard, 10% times (laughs) 2, even for math challenge people like myself, and then we just round it up a bit to make sure we're not being stingy. This is a way for us to train ourselves to hold these things loosely, to be generous people, to be people of a good eye. So that's one thing, tip generously. Even if you get bad service, Even if you get bad service, even if I get bad service, I try to do the same thing. Why? Because I give Jesus bad service every day, and he tips me generously. He is gracious to me all the time. I would like to turn and be gracious to others, even when they don't deserve it. If we go to go to another discipline we might do to train our eyes to be good, we go to the Apostle Paul a couple of places. 1 Corinthians 16, he's, he's speaking to a church that's trying to gather up an offering to give to a church in need. On the first day of every week, each of one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made, right? And then over in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Paul lays out for us there a model for giving. We need to practice giving that is personal, periodic, and planned. Personal, we decide in our hearts. We prayerfully go to God. We look at our situation, our income, and we decide. We don't just say, what's in my pocket today? What can I throw in the offering plate? We make a decision to trust God and to seek God on what that might be. And then we set up a plan that it would be faithful and regular, and we stick to that plan. Maybe it's once a week, maybe it's once a month, maybe you do all your giving in one time in the year. I don't know. Whatever God leads you to do, you do. If you have never done this, if you've never sat and tried to consider what percentage you give, I encourage you to do it. If you're not at 10% yet, that's okay. We can only be where we are. Maybe you're 2% or 3%, 1%. Prayerfully ask God if he would lead you to, to raise that a bit, to trust him, to step into this realm of the kingdom and see what God might do in you and through you. The way that Kim and I keep regular and many more and more people have in the last year with our giving, make sure it stays planned and periodic because we have it taken out automatically. You can do that through your bank account or you can do it on our website. You go to ecclife.net and you click on the giving tab. There are ways to do that. Make sure you don't forget it. Make sure you don't miss it while you're on vacation. Planned, personal, and periodic. Let's do that. And when you do that, not only are you being trained, not only are you becoming a person of a good eye, a generous person, you are also continuing to serve and assist the mission of ECC that we continue to grow and expand and nourish 
that mission and vision in our community and our world. And then thirdly, if you have been reading along in the book, The Good and Beautiful Life, <clears throat> you know that at the end of each chapter there is a soul training exercise, and the one for this chapter uh, is about deaccumulation, which is actually a word, it turns out. Deaccumulation. Practice deaccumulation. Give things away. James Bryan Smith recommends that you find some things that you have that are not junk, that you value to some degree, and you give them to someone if you know, if at all possible. You give something to someone that you know they will value and get joy out of receiving. He says, do it five times this week. If you can't do it five times, do it one, do it three. What might God lead you to give to someone else? He also says, try to resist the temptation to go out and buy something new to replace what you just gave away. <laughs> kind of runs against the theme here. Tip generously. Practice giving that is personal, periodic, and planned. Practice de-accumulation. Give things away. In these ways and in others, we can discipline, we can train, we can teach ourselves to be generous, to be given, to be open-hearted. We can cultivate in ourselves a good eye. We teach our inner selves to be filled with light instead of filled with darkness. We increase the light within us. We step more fully into the kingdom of God way of life, which is what the Sermon on the Mount is all about anyway. It is about trusting in Jesus to the point that we can become the kind of people from for whom obeying the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus' other teaching is second nature. Sisters and brothers, is your eye good or is it bad? How does God want you to respond this day, this week, in the months and years to come? What disciplines of stewardship and generosity might God be leading toward? What habits or changes in lifestyle might God be nudging to you to do and to engage in? What light might begin to flood your soul when you discover this kind of freedom and joy that is generosity and a healthy eye? How might God want to transform you? Would you pray with me as we close and prepare our hearts to celebrate the Lord's Supper together? Good and gracious God, we thank you for the teaching of Jesus for the reminder that you are a God who can be trusted, that you are a God to whom we bow down, that you are the God who provides for our needs. And we pray that in this week and in next week, you will teach us more and more, Lord, how to rely on you, to trust on you, and to move in the direction that you call us to live as those who store up treasures in heaven, not treasures on earth. Lord, make of us, make of us, Lord God, a people of good eyes, a people of generosity and openness. And may you receive all the glory, all the praise, and all the honor in Jesus' name.